Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome, everybody. It's uh, such a privilege and also a weird experience to be here, you know, first live zoom chat from my side you know and i just told the the office before we began it's it's so strange you know normally when you're busy preaching that you'd stand in front and you would look out on a couple of faces but now the only face that's looking back at me is my own face so it is strange but while it's strange you know, and it's something new um at least I, I laughed a little bit now some things still remain the same and renir i'm i'm sorry but I have to do this, you know, I see even though it's virtual church and you do it from your home and you just need to log on to the Zoom link, Renier Lawrence, he still comes five minutes late to church. So at least, you know, that hasn't changed. That stays the same. But Renier just just making a joke. Um, but before I begin, let me just open for us in prayer. Yes, Father Lord, thank you that we can be here today, Lord. Thank you that although we in different places, Father, that you've knitted us together with your spirit, Lord. You've bought us with your blood, Lord. Yeah, Father, and it's something precious, Lord, when your church comes together, Lord. The koinonia, Father, the fellowship of the saints, Lord. And, you know, we just want to say thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that even in strange circumstances, Lord, you still make it possible for us to gather, Lord. To still be there for one another, Lord. To still connect with one another. To still reach out to one another, Lord. You know, we just want to come and say thank you. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for who you are, Father. Thank you, Jesus, what you've done for us, the example that you've set, and that you're always drawing us closer. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're continuously working in our hearts to you know, just shine a light unto Jesus, Father. Tonight, I just want to come and pray today, Father, that you know, we might understand the necessity of fellowship, Father, that you know, we would firstly see, Lord, that it's a great privilege to be a part of your body, but also to realize, Father, the responsibility that comes with it. Thank you, Lord, that you are good and that we are here to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, guys, today I want to speak a little about, about, about the necessity of fellowship. You know, last week, Werner um, preached for us and the sermon title was How to Build a Strong Wall. You know, and I want to tie a bit into that in the context of Nehemiah and the people building the wall. And he made three points. You know, the first one was that they had a mind. To work you know the thing that God has called them to the thing that he wanted them to establish their minds were in it they wanted to do the task you know the Afrikaans says it so beautifully their hearts were in the work you know they had a, a heart to work a mind to work they were really devoted and committed to this thing that God wanted to see them accomplish secondly and that will be true in all of life especially with the things that God wants to come and establish is that there will be opposition you know they faced a lot of opposition from the from the enemy side you know and we see this today as well with a lot of things that god wants to come and do especially in the realm of identity you know god wants to come and establish identity into his people's heart and today we see a lack of that as the enemy comes and opposes that and that is true for every area of our lives where we are called by god to do a specific thing we will see a little bit of opposition and we will look at some of the tactics of the enemy today you know but the third point and that is where i want to just stand still today is that they built the wall together. And I want to ask, you know, why is it so important to build together next to one another? You know, Werner read so beautifully from the passage that they were building next to one another. And next to this one, this one was building. And next to this one, this one was building. There was a perfume. I'm not, I have no idea what a perfumer's work was. 
but there was a perfumer, there was a governor, there was a priest, there was a man and his daughters, and all of them were building together. You know, and our Western thought and how we get taught from a, a young age, it doesn't quite agree with that. And in fact, it wants to come and teach us something different. You know, that we can build our own little house, we can build our own little city, our own little wall and gate. And as long as our gate is not broken down, as if, if my gate stands, if my walls aren't broken down, then, then I'm fine. That's the only thing that I should be concerned about. I don't need to be concerned about the people around me, whether their walls are broken down, whether their gates are destroyed. As long as I'm fine, that's okay. And we looked in Nehemiah and we see a completely different story. You know, he's even miles away from Jerusalem, but his heart breaks and he wants to go and help the people. And these people were in exile. He has no idea who they are. He hasn't seen their, faith, their faces. You know, he doesn't know which, which lands came back, which tribes came back, which families came back. All that he knows is they're part of Israel, the chosen people of God, of whom he is also a part. And then I think Nehemiah understood something about fellowship, about community, you know, what it actually entails, especially to be the people of God, as we are as the church, the people of God, the chosen people of God, bought with his blood. He, only, he, he understood that while it's a, a great privilege you know, to be a part of this people, there's also responsibility that comes with that. You know, whenever God chooses a people with Israel back in the Old Testament or the church in the New Testament, it's, it's never something that's a nice idea or just a nice to have and not a necessity it's always a necessity you know god didn't say hey guys listen here i'm i'm a nice guy so what i will do for you is with salvation i will provide a place you know called the church and it's not really necessary but it's a nice to have so if you don't fit in anywhere else you know if you don't have friends if you struggle to have stuff in common with different people there's a church you can go there they need to accept you they need to forgive you and just if you really want to there's a church. And you see in scripture, that's never God's idea with his people. It's a necessity to come together, to have this fellowship. And we're going to look at why that is. You know, we have a responsibility towards one another, not only to grow, but actually to keep one another alive and in the faith. And we're going to do it a bit differently today. You know, normally we would read an Old Testament passage and apply it to a New Testament one. But today I want to read a New Testament passage of scripture, Hebrews 3, from this 12 to 15, see the principles that we can learn from it and apply to the Old Testament context of Nehemiah and his people while they're busy building the wall. So let's read together on the board Hebrews 3 from verse 12 to 15 and see what we can learn from the passage. So it starts in Hebrews 3 verse 12 and it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. There we, there we see the responsibility. Each one of us shouldn't just look after himself, but we should look after all of us. We must make sure that there isn't an unbelieving heart in any of us, leading us to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another. There's the exhortation that comes with the responsibility every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14 and 15, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. And then we see in verse 12 and verse 13 that it gives us this responsibility that we have towards one another. We should make sure that we do not fall away from the living God by an unbelieving heart. 
We should examine one another. We should be there for one another. And we should continually exhort one another because sin wants to come and deceive us. It wants to come and harden our hearts. And it wants to come and lead us away. Now, you, we, we might ask ourselves, you know, but if, if someone just comes and gives us that responsibility, listen here, this is the responsibility that you have towards the church. You know, we would say, why? You know, why, why, why do I have that responsibility? What is it that gives me this responsibility towards the people in the church? But then verse 14, it says so beautifully, so I need to put it on the screen again. For we have come to share in Christ. That is the defining factor. That is where it starts. And when we realize what that means, then the privilege makes sense and the responsibility makes sense. What it, you know, the Afrikaans says it also so beautifully. We have come to share in everything that Christ owns. You know, scripture says that we are co-heirs with Christ. And Werner shared so beautifully last week, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. And he says, you are God's field. You are God's building. We, the church, we are God's building. Christ owns the church and we are co-heirs with Christ in that we are co-owners together. This is something that we share in Christ. And it's so beautiful picture. Everything that we receive from God, the first thing that we share in Christ is the fellowship of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have part of that fellowship. And what God is saying to us in this verse is everything that we receive from Him, we should also give to one another. You know, when we look to God and what we share in Him, we receive acceptance, we receive forgiveness. So when we look at one another, what should we share? Acceptance, forgiveness. God is continuously exhorting in us, working in us to see the purpose that He has for our lives being established. What should we do for one another? Continuously exhort, continuously encourage, work in one another to see the purposes of God be established in our lives. And then there's that beautiful verse in verse 15 where God says that he's continuously speaking to us as he did with Israel when he led them from Egypt to the promised land, continuously guiding. And when we hear his voice, we should not harden our hearts. And here we see this picture of the church that God is saying it's not a nice to have, but it is an essential. There's a great chance that if you isolate yourself from the body of Christ, if you remove yourself from this coin and the others, fellowship of the saints, that there might be a good chance that in you, there might begin to grow an unbelieving heart, leading you away from the living God. Sin will come and deceive you, and there will be no one to encourage you and to help you back and forth. And you can maybe think about certain people in, in your life, friends and family that you know, maybe you can think of an instance where you have isolated yourself from the body of Christ. And it's not a long time before we can see these things happening in our lives bit of deceitfulness coming in, sin hardening our hearts, you know, unbelief starting to take root. And that is why it's essential. God is saying it's not something nice to have. We many times think that, you know, the church is there for when I want to grow. If I want to grow in my faith, if I want someone to come and add something to my faith, then it's necessary to have the church. But if I just want to, you know, stay alive and the way I am right now and continue, then I don't need the church. God is saying not so. It's necessary not only for your growth, but for your survival as a Christian, we plugged in to fellowship. So we see it two things, or three things. So firstly, God is continuously speaking to us, calling us to himself. He's saying you have the responsibility towards one another to allow one another to grow and to continually exhort one another and to make sure that you are part of that. So let's take that principles and apply it to Nehemiah's context. Let's read together Nehemiah 1 verse 1 and then get a little bit of an idea of why Nehemiah is so sad when he hears the news about what happened to the Jews. It says here in Nehemiah 1 verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, 
the son of Machali, how it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Anani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And now here we see, you know, Nehemiah saying, these people have arrived. And the first thing he asks them is, how is it going with my fellow brothers in God? These people that I share in God with, how is it going with them? He doesn't want to know, you know, how was your road trip? What were the sites that you saw? No. How is it going with the people that I have a responsibility towards? You know, because the reason why Israel was taken into exile was because they had an unbelieving heart to take root in them. Because they were deceited by sin, which removed them from the living God. That's why they were in exile. And now when they are back, Nehemiah wants to know, I want to make sure that the things that led them into exile isn't present anymore. I want to go and encourage them and make sure that an unbelieving heart's not present, that the deceitfulness of sin is not present, and that their hearts are not hardened towards God. And then he gets the news. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And here we see this picture of as soon as Nehemiah realized what's going on with his brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, his heart broke. Something in him wasn't quite right. He had this responsibility, this obligation that I need to go there. I need to help. I need to rebuild what was broken down. I need to go there. And then I think maybe, you know, if you were a nanny of one of his brothers that, that came with him and you stood there and, and you, all of a sudden see Nehemiah starting to cry. He's broken down. He's falling on his knees. He suddenly begins to pray to God. It's like, no, Nehemiah, wait a minute. I, I want to clarify. I didn't say your walls are broken down. I didn't say, you know, army is coming here to attack you, burn down your gates. It's fine where you are at the moment. You're living in the palace. You're the king's wine bearer. Your gates are still standing. Your walls are still here. You know, why are you so sad? You know, what's going on? That Western mentality, mentality of thinking. You know, Nehemiah would have said to them, no, but I have responsibility towards those people. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer together. And if you truly plugged in, if you truly rooted in the coin and near the fellowship of God, and you see someone suffering, you see a part of the body going through something, you cannot help but experience something of what those people are going to and feel that moral obligation that we have towards one another to go and help. You know, in the same case with Nehemiah, it's not just something that he, he realized as they told him a, a sad story. You know, we many times experience it. Someone tells a sad story or explains that there's people going through difficult time. And at that moment, we feel sad. We experience a little bit of what's going on. But the next day, we feel better and we move on. Not so in Nehemiah's case. Look at the following chapter. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, we read the following. In the month of Nisan, that is four months later four months since his brothers came to him and told him the news about jerusalem four months later this is what's going down in the 20th year of king artaxerxes when wine was brought before him i took up the wine and gave it to the king now i had not been sad in his presence and the king said to me why is your face sad seeing you are not sick this is nothing but sadness of the heart okay, what an amazing picture we see there of nehemiah 
You know, he's so visibly distraught about the condition of Israel, so visibly sad and broken down four months later that he doesn't need to tell the king I'm sad. The king can see something is troubling Nehemiah. He is broken in spirit. He's saddened in heart. And then Nehemiah goes on to explain to the king, it's not going well with my people, the chosen people of God. I know that I'm here now, but I have a responsibility towards those people because it's a great privilege to be part of the people of God. God has chosen us. He has knitted us together. And I need to go and help them restore what was broken down. And something in me won't be right until I go and do that. And again, you can maybe imagine someone in the palace standing there and saying to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, you're quite a while you know, a distance away from Jerusalem. Why don't you just leave it to them? I'm sure there's people there that realize the same thing. I'm sure there's someone closer. You're only one man. You know, what are you going to do? Why, why is this this burden on your heart? And Nehemiah might have said, you know, with, with bearing Israel in mind when they went through Egypt, they went to the promised land in the desert, they rebelled their heart. God is saying, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Initially saying that if you want to come to salvation, yes, if you want to repent of your sin and turn back to God, don't harden your heart. But he's also saying in that process of sanctification, as you are walking from Egypt to the promised land and you hear God telling you something, also don't harden your hearts. And he is saying, I'm feeling God saying something to me that I should go and help my brothers. And I'm not going to harden my heart. I'm going to go there and help them. It goes two sides, you know. They they kind of saying to Nehemiah, like Chaim said, you know, but are you your brother's keeper? Why do you want to go there and, and help him? You know, it's not your responsibility to make sure that it's okay with him. And Jesus is saying to us, you know, I've bought you with my blood, I've knit you together by my spirit, and you kind of are your brother's keeper. That takes us to point number one. You are your brother's keeper. You know, we can't have this Western mentality of Cain, you know, but Lord, I'm not my brother's keeper. It's not my responsibility to make sure that it's going well with him. And God's saying, yes, yes, you are. I've knitted you together with my spirit. I've bought you with my blood. You are your brother's keeper. You have a responsibility to ensure that everyone is busy believing and following God. You must make sure that in anyone, there's not a heart of unbelief that takes root. That the deceitfulness of sin doesn't enter. We are there to look out for one another. Not just a nice to have, but a necessity to have fellowship with the body of Christ. And you might say, okay, Vian, I hear what you are saying, but how long? How long should we encourage this brother? How long should we continue to call them back, to help them, to encourage them? How long? Because if we look at Christians, unfortunately, you know, human beings in general, obedience to God is not kind of the thing that defines us. You know, we struggle with that and, you know, myself and you, we will find ourselves there that we need to be encouraged, that we need to be brought back. And God is saying in scripture, as long as it is called today, every day, you exhort that brother. As long as it takes, as long as you are alive and you can have contact with that person, you exhort them, you call them back, you encourage them. You go and proclaim over their lives the identity and the purpose of God for them. Why? Because when we look at everything we share in Christ, God does that for us. Each day He encourages me. Each day He forgives me. Each day He draws me near. Each day He empowers me. And because God does that for me, I'm called to do that with all of the people that I share in Christ with. And if that might be the case, then we also have the responsibility to tell those people, listen, 
as I have a responsibility and obligation to continuously come after you, to invite you, to encourage you, and to point out certain things in your life that is not right, that is also an obligation that we have towards one another. As I am called to do that, you are also called to take ownership of your faith. You know, two weeks back, we looked at working out your own salvation. There's a working out of your own salvation that also needs to take place. You need to consider at God's feet. You need to speak to Him. You need to pray. You need to read. And you need to follow God. But I will continue to encourage you. But that is your responsibility as well. You know, God is essentially saying that we must make sure that everybody stays together. But you also make sure that you stay with the rest. That you do not move away. Because one of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to get us isolated in passivity. You know, you can again go and look at your own life, go and read through scripture, see all of the stories. But the moment we find ourselves in isolation, the moment we find ourselves in passivity, not together with the people that God has placed us with and not busy with the tasks that God has given us, temptation comes in. You know, we can see this in missions. You know, this is a story that we've unfortunately heard many of times. But when people go on missions, we are a group of people going together and for a week or two weeks or how long how long ever the mission lasts, we're together, we're literally together the whole time. We have a vision. God has spoken to us. We know that we are going to Zimbabwe or wherever to go and repair a certain part of the world. There's something that we're going to go build there. We have clarity of vision and we are together with the people of God, working together, building the wall. And very difficult for the enemy to come and you know, bring certain temptations in that time. But the moment we are back and we just want to rest a while and we, we forgot, you know, what has God called us to build here. And I just want to quickly isolate myself because I'm not together with them the whole time. You know, there was a lot of people around me. Just want to isolate myself a little bit. Just want to be passive a little bit. Temptation comes. And we've heard the story that a lot of people, you know, said that they didn't struggle with for a long, long time, came back into their lives as they came back from missions and they found themselves passive and isolated from the body of Christ. And all of a sudden that temptation comes. And we see the same thing in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah's life. Now we read in Nehemiah 6 verse 2 and we see that the enemy wanted to come and do the same thing to Nehemiah, to get him isolated and to get him passive. It says the following in Nehemiah 6 verse 2. It says, Son Balat and Hasem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Akephorim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. You know, and I always laugh when I read this passage of scripture because this is similar you know, to, to someone that is, you're walking around in Sukuna, maybe uh, in your busy days, you were at the club somewhere, uh, catering with your friends or you're in a restaurant now and, and you're there and a big guy comes to you and he says to you, do you want to go outside? You know, that is basically what, what's happening here to Nehemiah. Son Balat and Hasim is telling him to, to come outside for a while. Now, if you're clever and you're smart, you don't go outside. You stay inside with the people where it's nice and warm and safe except if you have been with you if you have been with you or you are been you can go outside you maybe win that fight but if you're not been and you don't have been with you don't go outside that is what San Balat and Hasem is saying to me at this moment come outside isolate yourself from the people of God and stop building the wall that God has called you to build and the enemy is going to come and do the same to us. You know, many times we have a tendency to withdraw from the body of Christ. Many of times we, we forget what God has actually called us to. Some of us don't actually know what God has called us to. You know, we're not sure what part of the world we, we have ever been called to build. But as long as we press into God and press into his body, God will reveal to us what part of the body we need to build. And then we see Nehemiah replying 
to them in verse 3. And he says the following in verse 3 and 4. And I sent a messenger to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they said to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. Initially, Nehemiah's telling them, no, I don't want to go outside. Why on earth would I intentionally remove myself from the people that God has placed me with? Why would I do that? Why on earth would I intentionally stop doing the work that God has called me to do? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question. God has brought us together as a family of Christ. Why on earth would you move away from it? Why would we separate ourselves from the people that God has placed us with? Why would we stop building what God has called us to build? There's no good reason for that in any, anything that wants to come and move you away from the body of Christ or the purpose of God for your life. That is the voice of the enemy because God most certainly is not going to call you to move away from his body. That is necessary for your survival in the Christian faith and your growth in the Christian faith. And he's not going to call you away from the purpose that he has created you for. Don't move away from that. Four times we see them tempting him in the same way. Another passage of scripture that speaks about the same temptation that King David faced. Unfortunately, he failed the test. It's not on the board, but you can go and read it in 2 Samuel 11. We see that David, um, in this context, it's when he sinned with, with Bathsheba. I don't know if, if you know the story, but it's David committing adultery with a woman that is not his wife, getting her pregnant, and end up killing her husband. Terrible sin committed by David. And how does it start? It says in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 11, that in the time when kings go out to war, you know, David's brothers, they went out to war. God had called them to go out to war. You know, and as the church, we sometimes need to build a wall when God is calling us to build one another up, to establish one another, to disciple one another. But other times the church needs to fight a war when it comes to injustice, when it comes to the racial injustice and tension that, that we are facing in this time. That is a war that the church needs to fight. Discipleship, that is a war that the church needs to build. And we see the same in Nehemiah's life. Building with the one hand, sword in the other. We are ready to build, Lord. We are ready to fight. But in David's context, they were called to go out to war. So they're going out to war. And David decides, no, he's going to stay behind. It says, in the time that kings go to war, the, uh, the army of David they had great victory, but David remained in Jerusalem. David decided to isolate himself in passivity. I'm not going with my brothers and I'm going to be passive. I'm not going to fight this war with them. One night, David walks on the palace roof and he sees a woman bathing. And he sends to certain people to go inquire about her. At that moment, if his brothers were with him, they would have said, David, what are you doing? That is not your wife. That is another man's wife. You have no business inquiring about her. And there the temptation could have stopped. They could have called David back to the Lord at that moment. But his brothers aren't there. They're busy fighting a war. And they're going to inquire about the woman and she comes and the sin happens. Nobody there to keep David accountable. And the chapter afterwards, it takes another brother to actually come to David, to call him back to the Lord, Nathan, the prophet, telling David, the Lord has spoken to you, you've committed the great sin, repent and turn back to God. And that day when David heard God's voice, he didn't harden his heart, and he actually turned his heart back to God. And God came and restored a lot, but he also lost a lot because of the sin that he committed in his life. But because his brothers weren't there, he fell into sin. But luckily a brother came 
and pulled him back. And that takes us to the second point. Point number one, you are your brother's keeper. Point number two, stay with your brothers. And I'm saying brothers in the slide, but I know that you, you know, I mean brothers and sisters. Don't remove yourself. Don't isolate yourself from the people that God has placed you with. You know, there's a lot of great churches in Sakuna. There's a lot of great churches in this world. And if God has placed you in one of them, don't remove yourself. God was intentional in creating his body for a purpose. Don't intentionally remove yourself from that body. It's necessity, not just nice to have. And also, you know, if God has called you to do a specific work, to build a specific wall, don't stop building what God has called you to build. And again, you might say, I don't know what that is. Pressing to God, pressing to his fellowship, his koinonia, his church, his body. And you will soon discover what part of the wall you were called to build. And if you finish building that part of the wall, as long as we press into God and remain with his people, God will give us a direction again. Like Nehemiah, after the wall was finished, God told him, okay, now take census, go and see who's here, what people came back actually from the exile. And God continued to lead him. And maybe you're here and you're saying to, to me, you know, Vian, I've never actually been part of this body. I've never been part of this building of God. And I'm not quite sure if I'm going to fit in, you know, make it. I'm not sure if God's going to accept me, if God is going to, you know, allow me to come in. And I want to say to you today that that is the reason why Jesus came, because none of us could be accepted. We all fall short of the glory of God, and that is why Jesus came in our place, so that in him we can become the righteousness of God, accepted, and experience that fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and also have fellowship with one another. And then you might say, can I understand that God... He will forgive me and he will accept me. But uh, the church, you know, that is a strange, strange lot of people. And to that I say, I mean, we are, we all look, smell and act differently. But we only need to have one thing in common. And that's the one thing we do have in common. And that is God. We have God in common. We share in Christ. In the moment you give yourself over to God, you share in that as well. And that is the only thing you need to share in. The thing that binds us together is that we have the same Father. God is our Father. And that takes us to point number three. There will always be a place for another brother. There will always be a place for another brother. That is why the church exists. That's why this family is there, to go and find the brothers and the sisters that is not yet part. And when they are part, we make sure that our brothers are okay. We are our brother's keeper. We stay with our brothers. And the purpose of the church is to always make place for another brother. So if you hear today and you're hearing God's voice, he's saying the same thing he says in Hebrews 3.15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Give yourself over to God. And we're going to break up into breakout rooms in this moment, and you might experience this tension as well. You know, some of us, but more introverted people, you're experiencing a tendency to disconnect. Don't do that. Don't isolate. When the screens come on, put on your screen, unmute yourself, connect the body of Christ. It is not a nice to have. It is a necessity. And we're going to discuss three things as we, you know, just join with one another and have some fellowship with one another. The first is we're going to discuss where in your life have you experienced the enemy wanting to isolate you? You know, maybe in this lockdown time you've experienced this. There's a tendency to disconnect, to withdraw. You know, I want to, I want to be isolated. I just want to do my own thing. And discuss that, or maybe in you know, certain places in your life, you might say, you know, at this very moment, I don't feel isolated and I don't feel the tendency to disconnect. 
but maybe share past experience. You know, we all can can learn from past experiences where there has been times where you wanted to be isolated, but God actually plugged you back in so that we can learn from that. Secondly, let's pray together and ask God to show us where our fellow brothers and sisters are experiencing isolation, where the enemy wants to isolate them so that we can go and encourage and exalt every day, calling them back to not be hardened by sin, to not grow a heart of unbelief towards God, but that we can continually go and see if it's going well with our brothers. And then lastly, we can discuss and also just pray for, Lord, show us who is our next brother and sister. Who are you calling into this family at work, in my family, people that I have connection with? But who is the next brother and sister that I can firstly pray for and secondly share the message of the gospel with? So that is things that we're going to discuss in our groups. But before we break out into groups, let me just pray for us. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you, Father, and say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you knew, Lord, that on our own we don't do well, Father. And I want to, to encourage us to keep us accountable, Lord, to keep us together, Father. And that is why, Father, you said that you never intended for us to be alone. You know, Adam being the first man, Father, you, you even saw, Lord, that all the animals and all the things, yeah, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs a helper, someone to come alongside, Lord. They were intended to make a bigger family, Father, and to rule over the earth. And your plan has never changed. It was then with Israel, Father, that you made a covenant, your people, Father, and now spiritually, Father, the church. We are your people, Father. And it's a great privilege to have fellowship with you, Father, and with your people. But thank you that we can also now see the responsibility that we have towards one another, Father, to always encourage, always exhort. And we can do that because you do it for us. We can love because you first loved us, we can encourage because you continually encourage us. We can forgive because you forgive us. We can accept because you accept us, Lord. And we can reach out because you are continually reaching out to us. And I pray, Lord, that as we break out into these grooms, Father, that we would open our hearts, Father, and experience this fellowship, that we would make sure that everyone stays apart, but that we ourselves don't disconnect. Thank you for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Enjoy the breakout rooms, guys.